You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Peter J. Hotes, uh, Dean for the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, global health, vaccinology specifically, and neglected tropical disease control. So, Peter, thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for having me today. Yeah, why, why do you say that uh, tropical diseases are neglected and how impactful are they on people? Uh, so that's a great question. You know, we call them tropical diseases, or now we call them neglected tropical diseases, which is a term we helped coin in the early 2000s. But the truth is, they're really diseases of extreme poverty. You ordinarily do not get a neglected tropical disease unless you live in extremely impoverished conditions where there's environmental degradation and low, poor quality housing and adequate sanitation. So they're really diseases of neglected populations who live in extreme poverty. Right now, there's globally, there's 750 million people who live below the World Bank poverty figure of $1.90 a day. And basically, every one of them has at least one neglected tropical disease. And now we know there are about 5.3 million Americans living in that same level of poverty. And they have neglected tropical diseases. So they're not only diseases of the poorest countries of Africa and Asia and Latin America. We have NTDs, neglected tropical diseases, right here in the U.S., especially uh, Texas and the Gulf Coast. So what are some of these diseases and what's the impact in terms of mortality or sickness? So they're diseases, I like to call them the most important diseases you've never heard of. They're diseases like schistosomiasis and leishmaniasis and Chagas disease and hookworm. Uh, the point is, these are not rare diseases. They're incredibly common, affecting tens of millions or in some cases, hundreds of millions. It's just that they affect the unseen poor. And, uh, and, and that's why a lot of people have never heard of them. You know, everybody knows about AIDS and malaria and tuberculosis, and, uh, but very few people know about these NTDs. And I guess the problem is, if you were to <clears throat> develop drugs to treat these people, how would they afford them? And if you were to develop vaccines, that's probably a better angle, right? Prevention. Well, but even there, so I think you hit on it, right? Um, so there, because these are the diseases of the poorest of the poor, they're not uh, 
really being worked on by the major pharmaceutical manufacturers. Um, the major pharma companies are doing a few things for malaria and tuberculosis, and of course AIDS, but not so much for neglected tropical diseases. So uh, what happens is developing new interventions, new drugs, new vaccines, new vector control technologies for insects all falls to the nonprofit sector. Uh, and um, so we've actually had to create a new type of organization to make those interventions. They're called PDPs, Product Development Partnerships. These are nonprofit organizations that use industry practices to make the drugs and vaccines that no one else will make. So in the case of for drugs, one of the major ones is called DNDI, the Drugs for Neglected Disease Initiative. They're an amazing organization based out of uh, Geneva, uh, Switzerland, and they are taking uh, these drugs on it for vaccines. Our, our organization, the, the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine, through what's called the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development is, is making those vaccines and advancing them through clinical trials. Can you give a little bit of detail on some of the top tropical diseases that have been neglected? What do they do? What are they caused by? Who do they affect? Sure. So uh, I'll give you a, a, a good one. One's called schistosomiasis. It's a disease of almost 200 million people, 90% living in sub-Saharan Africa. It's a parasitic worm infection, and you get infected by wading in contaminated fresh water like Lake Victoria or Lake Malawi or in the Nile River. And the larval stages have their microscopic, have the ability to crawl through your skin. And then they cause damage to your liver, intestines, depending on one species or the, your, the bladder and the female genital tract on another species. And it causes inflammation, it causes uh, fibrosis, long-term organ damage. It also stunts childhood growth and interferes with child intellectual development as well. So these are particularly problems of school-age children and adolescents and it really robs kids of their childhood and adolescence. And in the case of the one that affects the female genital tract, it causes a condition that is female genital schistosomiasis, which is now the most common gynecologic condition on the African continent. And that's actually a major cofactor in Africa's AIDS epidemic. So there's very few people taking this on. Um, uh, the German Merck, Merck KGAA is now developing, uh, is now donating a drug for it. Uh, that's just goes to show you the lack of a market. So the drug company's taken out a drug donation of a drug called Praziquantel, but the disease comes back. And that's why we're developing a vaccine for this condition to prevent it from happening in the first place. Has this been around long enough to be, I mean, first of all, is it heritable from mother to child? And has it been around to affect multiple generations? And you know, what's been the effect of it on this population? Well, it certainly affects multiple generations, but not because it's inherited. What happens is these the larval stages of the parasite are ubiquitous in fresh water, bodies of fresh water across sub-Saharan Africa. So that people, you know, people who live in poverty depend on the river, the lake to uh, wash their clothes, uh, to bathe. And so they're continually getting infected. And so the idea is Right now, all we have is this drug being donated by the Merck KGAA, the German Merck, uh, to treat them, but people get reinfected you know, within weeks. So 
it's it's the best we have, and and it's it's really important that we give that mass treatment on a regular basis. But we're hoping through the development of a vaccine we can prevent it from happening. Has a vaccine been developed yet, or not yet? So we've developed a vaccine, and there uh, that's now started to just finished phase one clinical trials for tasty testing for safety, and so far it appears to be safe. One of the problems that we have is uh, getting to the goal line, getting to licensure, because you know as a small nonprofit in Texas at the Texas Children's Center for Vaccine Development, we can go all the way from discovery through scale-up process development, pilot manufacture, IND filing, investigational new drug filing with the FDA, and that's starting phase one. But then as you go through advanced clinical development, phase three trials and licensures, those trials get larger and more expensive. And right now we don't have the, do not have the financing to see it all the way through. So, you know, there's no roadmap here. I mean, people don't develop vaccines in the nonprofit sector. So it's kind of seat of the pants as we go and hope that we'll continue to attract funding. Uh, are there conditions that are very notable in terms of how many people they affect that you're working on? Yes. Yeah, so we uh, have another vaccine for Chagas disease, uh, which is a cause of debilitating heart disease across Latin America, especially in poor countries like Bolivia or in the poor parts of southern Mexico or poor parts of Brazil, northern Brazil, northern Argentina. But we've also now found transmission of this disease in Texas. And the existing drug, which is called benzmidazole, uh, works in the early stages of the disease. But once it progresses beyond a certain point and heart disease begins, the drug doesn't, does not work well. So we're trying to make an immunotherapy, a therapeutic vaccine uh, for this. And, uh, and that we're doing this through support of uh, the Carlos Slim Foundation in Mexico, but also the Clayberg Foundation, which is based in Texas as well as the Southwest Electronic Energy Medical Research Institute. So we kind of cobble together our funding in order to make these things happen. Our schistosomiasis vaccine, uh, initially the Gates Foundation was helpful and now we're looking at, been looking at support of the NIH and some internal funds from Texas Children's Hospital. So this becomes a major issue in itself, trying to piece together uh, the support for our scientists. Um, you know, I've, we've got an incredible group of scientists. Uh, my co-director is Dr. Mary Elena Batazzi, and together we've assembled an amazing team of scientists who are very committed to the mission. But, you know, you have to, like, it's almost like a nonprofit pharmaceutical company. You need to put together the salaries and everything else to, to make it happen. Because some of these diseases affect so many people, are there carriers? Are there people that are immune? Are there people that uh, just somehow resistant to it? That's actually a very profound question. The answer is yes. And we helped, we took advantage of that fact to, uh, to design our vaccine. So what we've found, uh, this is not so much me, it's our colleagues, uh, Jeff Bethany uh, and Alex Lucas. Jeff is at uh, George Washington University and works in, in Brazil in Minas Gerais State, Brazil, and Alex Lucas at James Cook University, they found uh, in a population of people that seem to be naturally resistant to the infection for reasons that we don't entirely understand, those individuals uh, developed antibody to antibodies to certain schistosome proteins 
and we exploited that observation in order to help develop our current vaccine. Do you know if people develop immunity to it if they've been infected and then cleansed of it, then infected again? Like, do you have any um, well, well, some, people that have had it multiple times? Yeah, so some do, but most don't. So most people don't seem to develop protective immunity because these parasites have immune masking properties. So we looked at that uh, subset of that population. They looked at the subset of the population who is resistant and said, okay, well, what is it about those resistant individuals that you didn't see and the ones who continually get it all the time? And the answer was those individuals make antibody to, the, to our protein component used in the vaccine. Has anyone endogenized any of the uh, any parts of any of these parasites into their DNA? I know that happens with viruses sometimes. I'm just wondering. Um, not so much worm parasites, as, as far as we know. Um, um, but so no, not I mean, not as far as we remember. These are these are worms. These are animals. So they're not like viruses where the gene is actually getting the virus genes are getting into the host cell genes. Uh, so you yeah, that's true. wouldn't ordinarily expect it to happen. Okay, yeah, I was just wondering. So what do you think is going to be the, um, I don't know, how is the funding going to be achieved long-term? I mean, the, once a vaccine is made, it, well, okay, let me back on my question. Is the big challenge getting a vaccine made at all? Or is the challenge, um, once it's made, getting it distributed affordably? Well, you know, we've, after you know, we've been at the schistosomiasis vaccine for 20 years and the hookworm vaccine for 30 years and now the Chagas disease vaccine for almost 10. And now we've gotten it all the way through discovery and scale up and pilot manufacture and IND filing and phase one clinical trials. And one day I woke up and realized, hey, we just finished the easy part. <laughs> so, so now we've got to get it all the way through that pivotal clinical trials stage and licensure. So you know, vaccines are not are probably the toughest of all the uh, products in the pharmaceutical industry because they require years of safety testing and um, and efficacy testing. And so, uh, hopefully, we'll continue to attract the support we need to get it all the way through the finish line. Is there a way to piggyback it on an existing vaccine that is given to a majority of people in, let's say, sub-Saharan Africa or a drug that they're given for a disease like HIV, could you somehow piggyback it so it's given at the same time as an adjunct? So you're asking, you're asking all the good questions that we've been asking. So I think so. And so, for instance, one of the things that we made an observation from for, with a group at Yale uh, with Dr. Mba and Allison Galvani is people who get schistosomiasis are also more susceptible to malaria. So, for instance, could we piggyback on GSK's effort to make a malaria vaccine and say, well, let's give the two as a companion vaccines. Let's vaccinate against schistosomiasis and malaria simultaneously. And I think that approach has a lot of merit because you don't want to create a whole new health system just to give a new vaccine. You want to be able to exactly, as you say, to piggyback onto existing interventions uh, that would lower the threshold. So I, I absolutely agree. You know, or maybe possibly uh, a food they eat or something that they drink. I don't know if, you know, I, I guess this is going maybe way far afield, but is there anything they eat that's grown that somehow could be altered to produce 
naturally the antibody that's needed for one of these diseases. Yeah, there, there have been groups that have explored the possibility of edible vaccines or plant-based vaccines or genetically engineering tropical fruits like bananas. And that's an interesting technology. The challenge comes in how you, uh, how you regulate that and how you manage for dose. Because let's say you genetically engineer one of these vaccines into bananas, you'd have to carefully regulate how those bananas are eaten and that sort of thing. So it's, it sounds like a good idea. And I think you know that may be where we move to in the coming decades but it's not quite ready for prime time yet. Mm, I think so. Well, I mean, it's very noble work you're doing. What, what do you expect is possible in the next you know, five to 10 years? I know you've been at this a long time, but any breakthroughs coming? Well, I think right now, you know, there are vaccines. We're in the process of, you know, we've, we've shown they work in laboratory animal models. Now we're moving into phase one trials to show that they're safe. And so far that's looking really good. The question then becomes, does the vaccine actually work in people? And that's, that's the next big stage, doing these uh, proof of concept trials to show that they work as well in people as they do in laboratory animals, and then do the final trials for licensure. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And, you know, unfortunately, we move at a fraction of the pace that industry would move at just because the, the funding is, it's a patchwork of funding and trying to keep all the funding going and and so you wind up moving a lot slower than you'd like to yeah it makes sense yeah i mean as i like to say no people haven't done this before so there's no roadmap here of how you develop a vaccine in the nonprofit sector and it's not just the science it's coming up with innovative business models so you know i get a lot of young students that come to me and they say they want to go into global health and sometimes they're surprised or even disappointed when I tell them to go to business school, because we need as much innovation in the business sector as in, as we do in the in the science. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think an answer. I think there's an answer out there of how you uh, work and, and make create a business plan that actually can even generate revenue. I it just I I've, I I don't have the skill set to figure it out, and my team of scientists don't. So we need smart people from business school to figure out how to get these global health technologies out there. My, uh, my colleague, uh, Glenn Rockman, uh, heads a very innovative global health investment fund, uh, which now, uh, which, which now ha- has a new name. Um, it'll come to me in a second, but you know, maybe models like that might be, might be the answer down the line. He, uh, he had something, oh, it's now called uh, uh, adjuvant capital. So there are people out there trying to be really innovative and come up with new financial and business models, but we need more of that. Yeah, I wonder if um, getting it to be put into Coca-Cola, for instance, in those regions or in bottled water might be the best way, you know, because then it's a controllable dose per bottle and, uh, yeah, it's probably pretty pervasive. Well, well, I don't know about putting in Coca-Cola per se, but, you know, the Coca-Cola has an extraordinary distribution network. I mean, Anywhere I've worked in low and middle income countries, there's Coca-Cola. So they're definitely onto something in terms of how of their distribution network. Could you tap into that potentially for vaccine delivery or other interventions? It's maybe something worth exploring. Well, very good. Well, Peter, what's the best way for people to find out more and if they want to work in global health to 
you know, to get in touch? What are some resources for them? Well, there's a few things. One, you can go to our National School of Tropical Medicine, the Baylor College of Medicine website. Um, I've also written, uh, I also like to write books, and I've written a book about the problem of neglected tropical diseases. It's called Forgotten People, Forgotten Diseases. Uh, it's now in its second edition. My kids sometimes used to like to call it Dad's Forgotten Book on Forgotten People with Forgotten Diseases, but it's got to do the same. And, uh, and then I've got a new, another more recent book called Blue Marble Health, which looks at the surprising level of neglected tropical diseases among the poor living in wealthy countries, including 12 million Americans in the United States. And, and from that book called Blue Marble Health, published by Johns Hopkins University Press, we're starting to now uh, work with Senator Cory Booker and who's introducing legislation in the US Senate uh, around this. And then lastly, you know, we've got this other unexpected problem, which we could do a whole separate podcast on, which is this uh, rise of an anti-science movement in the United States and Europe, an anti-vaccine movement that's trying to discredit vaccines and make false assertions about them causing autism and other things. And I've written a book about that because I have a daughter with autism called Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, which is also published by Johns Hopkins University Press. Okay, well, that's phenomenal. Peter, it's been really great to talk to you, and I'll have to have you come back if you're okay with that at some point. So thank you. Great. Thanks for giving attention to this issue. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.